0: Thanks for joining us. Week two, evangelism training. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can gather together, that we can consider how to stir one another up toward love and good works and how we can share the glorious message of the gospel with uh, others in our lives. We pray that you would help us to be a church that has a culture of evangelism where we're just freely and frequently talking about Christ and his work in our lives and his offer of salvation for sinners. We pray for the people in our lives that don't know Christ. We pray that you would give us courage, give us clarity as we open our mouths and seek to share Christ with them. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys all, how'd you do on your assignment from last week? Anyone? You had an assignment, yep. (laughs) Uh, Phil's asking if he had an assignment. Yeah. Um, so my encouragement for you is you know as a reminder this isn't just a class of like you know information the purpose here is actually training equipping so that we would be growing in evangelism and sharing the gospel last week I encourage you to just you know take a, it's a simple step it's not doesn't take um, a theology degree doesn't take really much else besides time but just starting to pray for your own heart to grow in love for God and His Word. Praying for unbelievers that you know. Uh, praying for opportunities to communicate the Gospel. And then in that in that prayer, even just confessing any sinful fear, apathy, shame that you feel. Uh, confessing that to God. That's what we do with sin. We don't just feel sorry about it. We confess it to God. We ask for forgiveness. And then we remember that we're forgiven for it all. We're forgiven for... All the times that we mess up in evangelism, all the opportunities that we don't take, all the times we're afraid of what people think of us, all the times that we don't care. All of those times where we are forgiven by God in Christ. And so that was part of your assignment. Then also just to memorize and meditate on 2 Corinthians five twenty and 21 that we are ambassadors for Christ and that He's given us this message that we're called to communicate to others. So let me show you our overall you know, our outline here. Last week, we talked about what is the gospel, what is evangelism, we talked about some of the barriers to sharing the gospel, and just how to even get started. We heard from Andrew Lockwood. Today, uh, we're going to talk about the role of prayer and the Holy Spirit in evangelism. We're going to then talk about some practical matters of just like bridges to the gospel, or, or how do you transition a conversation to the gospel? How do you even bring up, you know, you're used to talking about the sports or the weather or, you know, the, all the things you, you might talk about that are easy and that don't require any social transition. And then how do you get to the gospel? And how do you handle objections? Um, we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to hear from Keith Greenwood about his own testimony and experience in evangelism. So, uh, I should you should have two pieces of paper if you don't I have some extras up here. There should be one. I mean, you could share the one. The one of them is a handout that has um, an outline of our lesson for today. And then on the back, we'll re- I'll reference this later, it has some instructions about sharing your personal testimony. And then the other is a survey that, uh, you know, it's, it's anonymous um, and it's voluntary. If you don't feel like filling it out, you don't have to. But I'll get to that later in the class as well. So just as a reminder... What is evangelism? You know, it's this comes from the Greek word evangelion, the gospel, the good news. The you know, That's really just what it means. It's, it's sharing the good news. But, you know, I have up here a fuller definition that it's the compassionate communication of the good news of Jesus Christ to lost people and the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of bringing them to Christ as Savior and Lord. Um, we talked about how it's compassionate, how it, it's... You know That it's not to be a cold, hard-hearted communication that we are speak with, with love and compassion in our hearts. For people that are lost, they really are lost. They may appear like they have their lives together, they have direction, they have purpose, they have hope. But they don't. If they feel that way, it's, it's not going to last. When they come up against death, um, they don't have a, a Savior that's defeated death. They, they need the gospel. There's no one who doesn't need the gospel. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's for the purpose of bringing them to Christ as Savior and Lord, although the results are not in our hands. We're going to talk about that today. One quote I wanted to share as I was preparing for this, it kind of actually ties in with last week. We talked about, you know, praying, I I encourage you to just pray for your own heart to grow in love for God and His Word, and I talked about how, you know, instead of just feeling guilty, like, I've got, this is one more thing I've got to add to the list of You know, go check the box and share the gospel, you know, be a good Christian. And so I I read this quote from a gentleman, uh, I didn't bring the book, but it's called Tell the Truth. It's a a good book, it's a large book, but he gives a really solid doctrinal foundation for evangelism. And he says, if people do not have the desire for evangelism, there is no use trying to train them. We might try instead giving them a strong dose of teaching on justification by faith. Unmerited mercy softens cold hearts and that's something i've you know i've seen true in my life and i would just pray for for you as well for our church that as the gospel the justification by faith not by works not by our sharing the gospel not by any good thing that we've done when that really sinks into our hearts that we're right with god by just by trusting him um, not by any works that we do our our hearts become softened they become alive to the truths of the gospel and then talking about the gospel becomes much easier when it means something to you when your when your own heart cares when your when your affections are stirred up then you're talking about something that really is good news to you you know and conversely when we don't really appreciate the gospel when we don't really care you know about the fact that we're justified by faith when those truths are seem distant and unimportant to us then you know, evangelism is going to seem like a drudgery, like a slog. It's not going to, there's not going to be any joy out of our hearts. So that's my prayer for us in all of this. So I'm going to talk initially about prayer in evangelism. And I thought we could look at two prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed for himself. These are these are the Apostle Paul's prayer requests. There might be others. I don't know. I didn't survey all of his letters. But, you know, we talk, you know, we go around prayer groups and we ask for prayer requests for ourselves well, this is what when Paul gets around to asking for prayer requests for himself, this is what he says. Ephesians 6:18 through 20. This is coming at the end of his discussion about the armor of God. He's just finished, you know, describing how we're in a spiritual battle, we need to stand firm, take up the sword of the spirit, and then he says this. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now remember, this is the Apostle Paul that's asking for this prayer request. You know, the one who wrote half the New Testament, the one who saw the risen Christ. You know, on the road to Damascus, and was his life was totally transformed. What is his prayer request? What is he asking for himself? Asking for the Ephesians to pray for him. Boldness. Why would he ask for boldness? All the things you listed on your sermon. Yeah, right. All of the reasons, the things that we're susceptible to. You know, fear of man, fear of rejection, fear of uh, sounding foolish. Losing a relationship, offending people—you um, know—the Apostle Paul experienced those same fears. I mean, maybe in different flavors, but he was afraid too. Why he wouldn't ask for prayer for boldness if he didn't struggle with timidity, with fearfulness, with uh, temptation to to refrain from speaking when he should. So it, we should take heart that um, it's not something unique to you. That you're not the only ones. I'm not the only one. All of us, all believers face this temptation, and partly this is because, you know, as he says here, the the mystery of the gospel. Remember in 1 Corinthians 1, he talks about how the gospel is foolishness to the world. There's an element of mystery and foolishness and unexpectedness in the gospel that you don't have to work for it, that it's all by by God's grace through faith. That's not what we would have expected. And so there's a temptation to be afraid. And so there's a, we see here an exhortation to pray. Asking for prayer requests, we pray for evangelism. And pray for, for boldness in evangelism. There's a parallel passage in Colossians. Um, I'm going to flip over to that now, or click over to that. Colossians 4, verses 2-4. through 4. These are parallel letters. I think they're both written from prison. He says this in Colossians 4, 2-4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So what's his prayer request here in this parallel passage? Opportunities? Opportunities? Clarity. Yeah. He's asking for both opportunities that God would open a door for the Word, and then he's also asking for clarity in verse 4, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. You know, I've found, if if... Ephesians 6, he's asking for courage. Here, he's asking for clarity. I find it helpful, just, you know, the, the alliteration, remember courage and clarity are the things that Paul prayed for for himself and that we are, we are by his example, are encouraged, exhorted to pray for, for ourselves as well. You know, clarity is, I mean, if you've tried to share the gospel, you know why he would pray for this. I mean, I, I don't know, You could you don't have to raise your hands. I know if you're human, you've struggled with this. Just unless you have this unique gift of evangelism where you can get it all across correctly and clearly the first time. But it's, you know, it's easy that you start something, you think you know where you're going, and you just end up kind of jumbled over your words, or the conversation takes a turn you didn't expect, and you don't know how to get it back. And um, that's, that's a common experience in sharing the gospel. It was, I think it was common for Paul. He, he struggled, and he, he wanted to make the gospel clear. And so he prayed for that for himself that, that he would have um, that God would help him to make the gospel clear. So it's not that it's wrong to pray for other people. We should pray for other people. But it's interesting to note Paul's prayers are for his own witness that he would be courageous, that he would be clear in these opportunities, and that God would open to him the door for the word. So I think in our prayer we need to be we need to. Look back at ourselves and just pray. Pray that God would give us those things as well—courage and clarity. I want to just take a moment now and, and think about this question about the Spirit's role in evangelism. Uh, you know, we're praying for courage. We're praying for clarity. But you know, even if we're courageous, even if we're clear, you know, what is it that we can really accomplish in evangelism, and what is it that's really out of our hands that um, we? We just have to leave with God. And I said earlier when we defined evangelism, we want to be careful. We want to have a goal of bringing people to Christ. That is the goal—to persuade people to believe. But ultimately, that is out of our hands. We cannot bring someone to faith. Second Corinthians four one through six. Paul is talking about his own ministry. You know, if you remember the context, people had been giving him a hard time because he wasn't—he didn't preach in the the popular methods of the day. He, didn't, he wasn't a, an orator. He didn't, he didn't adhere to the, the cultural standards of how you, you know, win a crowd and influence people and all that. So here he's, he's really defending his own ministry and why he would just present the gospel the way that he did. That he wasn't a peddler of God's word, he said in chapter 2. So Second Corinthians 4, 1-6, he says this, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We're not going to just you know, manipulate people to get them to believe. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Alright, so what... I helped you out with some colors here, but uh, what are... From this text, what do we see is our role? Or, you know, in this case, it's Paul's role, but by implication, our role... In evangelism, sharing the truth, sharing the truth by or open statement of the truth. Anything else? Be
1: an example.
0: Be an example. Yeah. Jesus. Proclaim Jesus as Lord. Remember earlier he said, First Corinthians two, I proclaim Christ and Him crucified. I determined to know nothing amongst you except Christ and Him crucified. I mean, he he preached many things, but they were always grounded in the gospel of of Christ and His work his death, burial, his resurrection on our behalf. Okay, so that's our responsibility. And that's fairly simple. And In in a sense, it's freeing, like open statement of the truth. You need to know the message. Remember, we're ambassadors. You need to know the message, and you need to communicate it openly. You need to proclaim it. You need to share it uh, openly, sincerely, as clearly as you can. All right, now what about the Spirit's role or or God's role? Um, What is God's role in evangelism? to change the heart of the Yeah. To change the heart. What else?
1: He's the one that converts.
0: Yeah, he converts. You know, it's easy sometimes to think that you're dealing with neutral audience members, like that everyone's, they're, they're unbiased, they're impartial, and you just have to give them the information, and then they'll... I mean, there's times when I feel like, I, you know, it's easy to forget, I guess, how... Our hearts and minds have been changed, if you're a believer. And I'll read something, and I think this just makes so much sense. How could anyone not believe this? But verse 4, Paul tells us, you know, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I mean, it's not that the gospel isn't clear. It's not that it hasn't been proclaimed to them. Even people that hear the gospel clearly. You could do the best job in proclaiming it. You could be as open and clear as, as, as possible. You could do it perfectly, but their eyes are blinded. They, they can't see the, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Until, verse 6, You know he quotes here from Genesis 1. Let light shine out of darkness. That, that was the creation. What we're wanting, what we're hoping for, we're God to do a work of new creation. This is what it is. He's the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said in talking to Nicodemus, that the wind blows where it wishes. You see it. You see it's evidence of the wind, but you can't control it. So it is with the Spirit of God. We can't control how the Spirit of God is going to work on the hearts of people as they hear the message. But that's really what we're depending upon is that new creation work of God bringing new life, awakening a dead heart. And it only the creator can do it. I was just talking to a young man yesterday. Um, he grew up in the church. I heard the gospel hundreds of times. Uh, and it just didn't, I, I don't know, he, he could have told you the gospel, he, he knew it, but it, it he, he drifted and it, it, wasn't, um, it didn't really mean anything to him. And then, I don't, you can't make it into a formula. He, was, he heard the same message from a different person at a different time in a difficult time in his life, and it just clicked. And it, he believed, and it was his, he described it as though his, he was awakened to this truth. And he had, he had heard many times before, but had never, never believed. And so that's really, you know, if you have children, you know what that's like. You can't make them believe. You can present the gospel. And it's the same with anyone you share the gospel with. Our role is presenting the gospel as clearly, as as courageously as we can, as winsomely as we can. Uh, we want to adorn the gospel with our good works, but it's the Spirit's work to give new life. We cannot bring some. We cannot create life out of darkness. All right. Any questions on these on prayer and the Spirit's work? I want to transition now to just some practical ideas of like how to even how to have conversations and turn conversations in this direction. Any questions or comments? All right, well, I wanted to suggest um, um, a a new method for you, um, one that will probably make things a lot easier for you. Uh, It's this new martial arts-based evangelism program. (laughs) Um, The Way of the Master. So Ray Comfort, this is again, sorry, Babylon B. They've got a lot of... uh, um, helpful satire, um, you know, we might be tempted to, I mean, in a sense we can poke fun at, at Ray Comfort, I mean, they like to poke fun at, at a lot of people, um, there's things that we can learn from him, but what we we don't want to be, you know, I, I, last week I talked about, I maybe I mentioned this, maybe it was in my notes, but we don't want to be those who do a, what we call a spiritual mugging, where you just like come along someone and you wrestle them to the ground and force feed the gospel to them and then check the box that you shared the gospel with them. Now, how can we winsomely, lovingly speak of Christ with people? So, I want to talk about what, you know, in the evangelism class that I took in, at Southern Seminary, the professor called them bridges to the gospel. Like, how do you take a conversation? You know, with someone you know or someone you just met, that's about other things, and transition it to the gospel. How do you make a build that bridge between common matters to spiritual matters to eternal matters? Does anyone? I've got a, a list here. I'm going to just share of things that I've tried to use over the years. But let me just open it up to you. You guys have any um, anything that's worked well for you guys, or um, thoughts you have about how you can transition a conversation to the gospel, Gary?
1: Out at the Sundown Church tracks. Instead of saying, "Here's a, here's a track," you say, "Here's a gospel track." And the people that are non-believers, what's the gospel? And then they join a conversation. and You ask, you can talk to them.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've been surprised at many times. People that are more willing to just have that that simple conversation. If you say, you know, if you ask them, do they know what the gospel is, and they say no, and you say, well. Can I? Would you mind if I tell it to you? Or If I share it with you? And I mean, many times people will just say, "Sure." Uh, anything else? Bridges to the gospel? Ways that you've tried to seen it work well to transition a conversation to the gospel? Tom?
1: Uh, death. Yeah. So current events every day. There's someone's
0: dying, right? You got the Maui thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we like to. Keep death at the fringes, and uh, you know, but it's it's a reality that forces you to think about eternal things. One of my other professors in seminary said he hated weddings, but he loved funerals. Yeah. I mean, not that there's really anything wrong with weddings, <laughs> but it's funerals when people are really thinking about eternal things. Like um, everyone is forced to reckon with eternal reality when you when you meditate and think about the death of someone you love. I think it's, uh, like friendship. I
1: think of a co-worker of mine, a great co-worker, um, and then just felt like it was time, so we went to lunch and said, hey, that was something important I wanted to
0: talk
1: to you about. It. Yeah. I mean, little bits and pieces along the way, you know, right. talking to him, but then he was open to it, so. Yeah. Having that, that ongoing friendship. Yeah. you really care
0: about right Right. Yeah, especially if you had a relationship with someone for a long time, even just, you know, saying, you know, you know Joe, I've, we've known each other for a long time, but there's something really important in my life that I've really I've never talked to you about. Can I share it with you? I mean, something just direct, straightforward like that. He can always say no, um, but most times if you have a relationship, you know, he's not going to say no. And, you know, it may be awkward. It may feel... And you know what? That's okay. It's okay to be awkward sometimes. You know, it's worth... Sharing the gospel is worth being awkward sometimes. Um, when you think about... I mean... You could multiply opportunities, like you know. Remember, the world is God's world. The sunsets, God made the sunsets. Yeah. You know, your wayward children are displaying the human depravity. You know, sin. Is, someone said, it's uh, the only doctrine for which we have empirical evidence: original sin. Like we we see sin everywhere in the in the world. Uh, you can use that to to transition to the gospel. Even difficulties at work, like complaining about something that's monotonous or frustrating you know that's the curse that's Genesis 3 thorns and thistles uh, that's you know everything the world is God's world so there's there are many ways to transition to the gospel even you know beauty in a in a good movie a, a, or a good book or you know you can there's many ways if you're thinking of it and praying about it that got that you can transition the conversation here's here's a handful that I've tried to use over the years to varying degrees of success but you know there's not really a formula I mean there, there can be different things to try but it really comes down to you and your own relationship communicating as you know how you communicate with with people based on your relationship with them so have you ever gone to church just actually a couple weeks ago there's a guy a contractor that i've worked with for years off and on and um i invited him to church probably i don't know maybe three or four times over the years at different times and a couple weeks ago i invited him to church again and he said um he said, man, you don't, you don't give up on this church thing, do you? <laughs> and I said, well, Chris, let me tell you why I keep pestering you about it. Uh, you know, it's because I believe that this is really true. The, the, the message that we share, it's not just a religious box to check. And then I started to just explain to him in kind of highlight form, like what the, the essence of what I believe is true about the gospel. I mean, even like that, even a conversation about church, asking someone if they have a religious background, what they believe about God, religion, the Bible, meaning of life, etc. Many times people have thought about these things, or they have questions, or they have thoughts, at least, and they're willing to talk about them, but you know, it takes someone taking that initiative to, to, to start the conversation, to move it in that direction. And do you mind if I share with you my spiritual journey? Do you mind if I share what I believe about, you know, fill in the blank, death, you know, meaning of life, God, um, the spiritual realm, you know, you could fill in a the blank there about a lot of things. Uh, this is something that um, I think it was James Kennedy, a uh, pastor in Florida, had used for many years, and you probably heard variations of it. Number six, have you come to a place in your spiritual life where you know that you'll go to heaven after you die? You know, many people have fears about death. There's no certainty about what will happen after you die. It was my, my grandfather was a, you know, moral person, did a good did his best to treat people right, work hard his whole life. And that for many years was his gospel. I lived a good life and God will let me into heaven when I die. But when it came to his own death, he had no hope. He had no confidence of anything that would happen after death. All his good works, all his morality was emptiness when it came to thinking about life after death. Even something simple, is there any way I can pray for you? Um, that a way that's you know less maybe maybe less offensive uh, but yeah like I said you'll be surprised I'm sure other people here can share stories as well but another example I mean I was surprised of someone who I was talking to a, a guy that I played tennis with um, a few months ago and I asked him if he'd been reading anything lately and he said he'd been reading uh, this novel by this gentleman David Foster Wallace I didn't know anything about David Foster Wallace maybe some of you have read it. apparently he's a well known novelist he said, "I really like this author. You know, he he makes um, he he makes the point that everyone, whether you're an atheist or religious or whatever you are, everyone worships something. Everyone has to have a god in their life." And and I was just I was, like, I was floored. I'm like this is like he's this is a message from a sermon. He's not a believer. This guy Matt Grit, his name's Matt. Um, he's not a believer. Uh, doesn't go to church. He used to be a pretty radical socialist, and and yet he's Telling me that everyone has a god and everyone worships something, and um, so it turned into a, a conversation that we had that day, and then another day about. Uh, actually, Tim Keller quoted that same fellow in one of his books about how we all have a we all have a god, and we need to choose the right one and worship the true god. So, you know, there's not going to be. You may it may be awkward. Uh, it, there may not be a perfect way. You may not. You know, but I would encourage you to be intentional and take. You know, pick, pick something that might work for you based on your relationship with a given person and prayerfully take that step. One other way, another way to think about, just another strategy to think about, is just sharing your own testimony with, with people. And this is where if you flip over your handout on the back, I gave you kind of an extended version. I just basically copied this from the class that I took at Southern. but uh, Highlights about sharing your own testimony. I mean, if you're a Christian then you have a testimony. If you're not a Christian, then get a testimony. Uh, but a testimony is just a story of how, how you came to trust and actually trust and believe the promises of God for you in the gospel. Um, so it may be a radical story of you know being in drugs and an alternative lifestyle and coming out of it. Or it might be, being raised in a Christian home, a Christian church, hearing the gospel, you may not even know a specific time or date or place when you, you know, became a Christian. But um, you have a testimony if you are now in a place where you're trusting in the promises of God. And so learning how to articulate that in a in a brief way, something simple, something clear, with avoiding a lot of like religious flowery language, just a way that you know, think of your non-believing friends, kind of the language they use and the way they communicate. Just, you know, it's your story um, and c- see how you can think about how you can communicate that. This, this sheet has some good instructions about things not to do, about things to do. The goal would be to present Christ. I mean, it is your story. It's a story of how Christ has worked in you, so it needs to include your life, but your goal is to highlight Christ and what He's done in um, changing you and making you a new creation. It doesn't have to be long, but and you can you can do that in a, in a short period of time. And then I would say just practice. You know, practice with your spouse or your kids, or you know, yeah, if you if you have kids, just you know. Tell, did I ever tell you how I came to know Christ? Um, you know, it takes practice um, to learn how to just to learn how to share your testimony. I was I'm going to call someone out here just because it was such a, a great example of this. I was encouraged by. Arlene's not here, but Paul is. But um, I, I brought some friends to church I don't know, a couple years ago. Um, what, he was a nominal Hindu. She was a nominal Catholic. And uh, Paul and Arlene saw him and invited him out to lunch. We went out to Brito Bandito after church. And... Um, you know kind of got got a feel for their own beliefs and where they were coming from and then Arlene just took the opportunity I mean I think we all did but Arlene sticks out in my mind because she grew up in a catholic home and this young girl in front of us was a nominal catholic and Arlene just shared her own story of how you know she grew up in a catholic home and believed she shared in the in the context of telling her story she took the opportunity to weave in like the false gospels that she used to believe about how her works were good enough to save her, and how she just had to do enough good things to please God. And then she contrasted that with just the true gospel of how God had done everything for her, and she just had to believe and trust in Him. Uh, and it was just, it was natural, they weren't offended, they, they, it was just a organic conversation. And it was just, I was just sitting there just praising God for um, the way that she was able just to share her testimony openly and, and clearly with these um, friends of mine. So. If you have a if you are a believer, you have a testimony. So, think about how you can share that with others. That's going to be part of your assignment for, you know, the next week, which this is our last week, so you have the whole year to work on it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you you make a bridge to the gospel. You you know, you try to transition the conversation there, uh, you know, sometimes it may just like bounce off the wall or you know, you may feel like the conversation is, is not going anywhere, or the temperature may rise. You know, the person gets visibly angry or irritated with you. How do you how do you handle that? How do you handle objections or confrontation if if the conversation goes that way? Any first um, <clears throat> any thoughts? I remember. Sorry, Go, Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. I what did you? <laughs> um, Point to yourself that you're also a sinner. Because a lot of times they'll be offended that you're pointing out their sin. But you always got to make sure you remind them that, you know, I'm just. Right. You know, the old, I'm baker. some other bigger word, I've got some bread, you know. Yeah. Uh, just kind of confuses, <clears throat> you know, uh, those feelings at times. Right. Yeah, we do want to be careful we're not coming across as proud or self righteous or. You know, we're we're the ones who need the same gospel they do. But even when you do that, there might be people who are just hostile or not ready to hear it. What did Jesus do when someone wasn't ready to hear the gospel?
1: He wasn't offended.
0: Yeah, he wasn't offended. I'm thinking of the rich young ruler. He uh, came to Jesus. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus. You know, said sign on. You know, pray this prayer, and um, you'll be introduced into the kingdom of God. And no, you know, he, you know, he obviously didn't say that. Uh, If you remember the story, it was, um, you know, sell all that you have. You know, or it was a discussion about the commandments of God. Jesus was trying to expose the man's reliance on his own self. But at the end of it, all the man walked away, and Jesus let him go. He he didn't run after him or. You know, he he just he let the man go, and the man was not ready to hear. He was not willing to let go of his pride, his reliance on his own worth and his own possessions, and and Jesus let him go. So there is a time, I think, important to recognize that you know there, there's a time just to walk away or to let a conversation go. I mean, our goal obviously is to share the gospel so that someone will, will hear it and believe in Christ. But if they're not ready, or maybe you're not the right person because of Tension or you know conflict in the past, uh, there is a time just to walk away. You can always continue to pray for them, um, but um, you you have to be discerning about the relationship. Um, If someone's not ready to hear it, you can actually it it may you know force feeding in the gospel can potentially even be be harmful if you're if you're coming across as though you're you're not being loving or compassionate, Um, and especially. I found, I mean, over the years, I'm sure you, some of you have had these interactions where you're, especially people that have very strong views, maybe they're Jehovah's <coughs> Witnesses or Mormons or other religions, and really the conversation just becomes combative. And they're just, they're just trying to pick you apart and argue with you, and you know, there may be a time and place when, with a relationship where you can enter into that, but many times I've just felt like this isn't productive. This person is just trying to kind of tear me down, and they're not even listening to what I'm saying. Like, I'm saying things, and they're immediately coming back with something else without even hearing it. And I think there are times in those contexts when it's just appropriate to walk away. That being said, there may be people who come with objections that are, you know, more sincere, who are actually willing to listen. What are some of those common objections that people might have? You know, not necessarily combative, but just things they might spit back at you when you try to Transition the, the conversation to, to God or to the gospel.
1: I'm a good
0: person. I'm a good person.
1: Uh, why would a good God allow X to happen to me? To my
0: yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. How could there be only one way of God? Yeah.
1: I've heard a lot from my father in law. I'm such a bad person. He hmm. could never forgive me. How do you know the Bible is true?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't have enough time to talk about all those. Those are all. You know, um, those are all. I, I put up some of those here, but there's many others too. And, and you guys all hit on very common objections. I'm basically a good person. That's fine for you. I have my own truth. There's so many different interpretations. How can you really know which one is correct? Uh, you know, usually these things. Um, you know, there are. May, there may be some where. You know it. You may need to go hit the textbook, or you know, ask your pastors, or you know, find a video of like, you know, how do we really trust the interpretation of the Bible? You know, there may be some cases like that, but many times these objections are actually not that complicated, and you know, the the, the common ordinary Christian who understands the gospel can, if you have the time to think about your responses and pray about them, you can lead a person through them. Like when someone says, "I'm basically a good person." Um, you know that's that's not you don't have to if you understand the gospel you understand you know what they what you can just start by asking them questions you know what do you mean by good like how, how are you defining good you know how do you know that you're really a good person and then you can be slowly you know ray comfort style you can show them that they've done things that are not good um, you know you know essentially when someone is saying that you know, they're saying i'm i'm just as good as someone else or i'm better than someone else you know that's fine for you but i have my own truth you know, you want to bring them to understand who who God is. Um, that we don't get to define our own truth. I mean, a lot of these things I'll I'll try to get back to who, the character of God as the bedrock reality under under all of existence. He's the one who determines what is good. He's the one who determines what is true. The self we don't get to determine that for ourselves. You know, if, there's, if someone says there's too many different interpretations of the Bible, how can you really know which one is correct? Usually they haven't actually read the Bible. And you could take you could ask them, you know, would you read the Gospel of John together with me? We could just read one chapter a week and talk about it. Meet for lunch or coffee or whatever. You know, one thing I would say, and then I'll call, um, I'll make a few more slides and call Keith up, but something that's really helped me with these objections, you know, there's not really anything new that people say these days. I mean, there may be some... You know, maybe a little bit different language, but you go. You know, people have been saying similar things for decades. If you read read books like *Mere Christianity* by C.S. Lewis, or you know, all the you know Francis Schaeffer, he's written many many things on these topics. Or *Making Sense of God* by Tim Keller is another really good one, um, where he they basically expose these fallacies for what they really are. As you study those, if you read those books, and as you practice. Uh, how you would you could even rehearse? How would you respond to this um, objection? You know, you can grow in how you how you respond to them. That might be something we talk about more in a future evangelism training. But I want to just encourage you a few more things, and then we'll call Keith up. I would just say, don't don't do it alone. Like evangelism is hard. Dealing with these objections, um, transitioning conversations, getting over the awkwardness, getting over our fears. It's it's hard. So. Let's seek to help one another in this. You know, pray for each other, ask each other how you're doing in evangelism. That's something we've tried to do in our home fellowship group um, to share how we're doing or to pray for specific people in evangelism. You know, like I said, invite visitors to church out to lunch. You know, it's a team, in the sense it's a team sport. You don't have to be just all individuals doing your own thing. We can help one another in evangelism. And I'd like to also offer a few books. If you want, like I said, this is going to be the last week that we do this, but here's some books that I found helpful over the years that if you wanted to think more about um, how you could grow in, in evangelism or how to communicate your faith. This one called Tactics is a, its called A Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Conviction. It's by a, an apologetics professor from Biola. He just walks through a lot of situations and like, Theoretical or or not, um, circumstances where he, you know, how, how do you transition a conversation? How do you kind of diffuse objections and, and move people towards um, spiritual conversations? He's the one who said, you know, just aim to put a rock in someone's shoe. Um, try to move them, you know, closer to, to the truth. Um, J.I. Packer has this excellent book. it's I think it's 50, 60 years old now Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Excellent book. Just unpacking how um, God is sovereign in saving, but we are responsible to communicate the gospel. And then a couple books from the Nine Mark series, Evangelism by Max Stiles. That one's really about how a church can together share the gospel, how we can have a culture of evangelism, how we're we're sharing the gospel and, and displaying the gospel in the church. And then this one by Michael Lawrence, also in that same series, Conversion, How God Creates a People. Really... He highlights how we're not trying to make nice, moral people. We're trying to... We're, the goal is new creations, people that are of a new heart, a new life, and how that impacts how we go about evangelism. And those are some books, you know, I think... I don't know, Trish. At least a couple of those are in our bookstall. I
1: know we have the
0: red Um Yeah. But Amazon has them, or maybe we'll add them to our bookstall. Um... So, with that being said, I'd like to call Keith up and hear from Keith about his experience and over the years in sharing the gospel. All right, Keith, you're in the hot seat. I've got the same, same questions I asked last week. So, I'll just put them all up here and you can um, start us off with the first one. Was there a defining moment in your life in which you began to think more seriously about evangelism? What was that process like?
1: Uh, I would just say that um, it was when I was working with youth. Um, because when you go to teach somebody how to do it, you have to do it. And you have to be prepared and you have to uh, think about all those questions. I noticed that when you uh, you had a list there and it was a, like, how do you bridge this? Almost everyone had a question mark at the end. So learning how to ask questions I think is the biggest helpful bridge mm-hmm. because uh, you don't know how to articulate what where they're at until you find out where they're at. You know, because somebody would say, "You know, I'm a Christian." Well, what do you mean by Christian? What does that mean to you? And as you go down the list of uh, their answers to that, then you have follow up questions. You know? So, I think uh, if I'm, I'm a good person, you can ask people more questions about what do you mean by good? You know, how do you know what's good? Is everybody good? Because you need to understand how um, what who man is and who God is to to get into the rest of the gospel but um, so working with youth I went to a a week session with uh, high schoolers Um, it was very good it was called Worldview Academy and it uh, worked with the kids on apologetics it helped them to explore their their faith Um, and it actually we went out on the street a couple times in uh, Santa Cruz and, and talked to people and a lot of it was based on just starting a conversation. Every conversation doesn't have to be, you know, um, one of the tools they gave us was, well, ask somebody a couple of questions. And so I went up to a person and said, uh, can I ask you a couple of questions? Well, my first question I got on my paper that I was supposed to ask was, uh, "You know, how many of the 10 commandments can you remember? Well, you know, he kind of went down a little list and he said, that's one. So now I'm already on the spot. I get one more question, and that's it. So people can steer the conversation in a way that they want it to go. So don't put yourself in a corner too much. So, But I would say this, too, that at that academy, I learned to identify the questions and then do the research and ask some of those questions ahead of time. I work with uh, foresters who have to prepare for a professional license, and some of you do too, in engineering and things. The best way to prepare for it is to get a copy of some questions they're going to ask and answer them. When have you got your books? You know, so I brought some books with me that uh, I've gotten over the years, um, and Hank Hanegraaff, uh, he's gone off the edge on a few things, but uh, he's got a lot of answers because he's been asked a lot of questions, and they're pretty mm-hmm. simple answers to some of those questions, which we think oftentimes are very difficult. Um, i also got a book that uh, I find real helpful, it's uh, Norm Geisler and Thomas Howe, The Big Book of Bible Difficulties. And hey, let me just read one of them for you because people will often say, you know, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. I even played with a pastor once from a congregational, I think, covenant something or other church. He was a pastor, and after he hit the first ball on the first tee at a golf tournament, he swore, and I went, whoa, I know where we're going here. This is going to be a long day. So we had 18 holes in conversation. <laughs> and um, he was one who told me there's like 60 some contradictions in the Bible, so you can't really rely on it. But, like, here's one, uh, 1 Kings 11.1. 1, how could God allow Solomon to have so many wives when the when he condemns polygamy? So, you know, he's got a problem, he's got a solution. Uh, one, 1 Kings uh, 7.23. Doesn't the calculation in this verse represent an inaccurate value of pi? So people look into all these little details to say, well, the Bible's not, not precise or accurate mm-hmm this contract uh, contradicts that other part, and and they've gone through a lot of those already. So I think that's pretty helpful. And then this is uh, my favorite book, which is called The God Conversation. I put that thinking more in quotes, because a lot of times with people we work with, or people we know, it seems like we only have one chance. But you don't know when it's coming. When the conversation transitions, maybe it's a death in the family or something, when that conversation switches. And if you're not ready for it, it catches you off guard, and then that's probably where I fumble the most is where the conversation leads directly to an opportunity with the gospel. It's like, oh, I missed it. And then it's tragedy. So I think for me, I like to take a conversation, recognize that uh, everything is spiritual, whether you're talking about the Giants. Okay, say that, I don't like the Giants, but they're a baseball team. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but um, you could say, what do you think about this player? Isn't he... Isn't he good? How does he hit the ball so far? How does he get that gift? Is it just a, a talent, you know? Is he born that? How come not? Have you watched the Olympics, you know? And then there's the Special Olympics. What about the, you see the Special Olympics? Those people have, what's the difference between joy and happiness? Those people look like they're really happy. And some of these people who just lost, they're the fastest people, the second fastest person in the world. And they're unhappy. So, you can take that to a, a level of understanding of, of what's meaning in life. So, I think you could take any conversation and look at the spiritual aspect to it and ask them questions. And so yeah. That's kind of where I started with it. It was working with the kids. And then when they would ask difficult questions, you look them up. So, I, I keep books on my shelf to go look them up. If you think you have all the answers, you're really going to make a mistake. Yeah. You don't. Even the one about uh, uh, probably the most common. Uh, objection people have is how could a God who's good allow evil to happen in the world? And then you have nine eleven happen, and there's a conversation started right there.
0: Yeah. So, what kind of fears have you had, and how do you deal with those as you tried to pursue evangelism in different contexts over the years? I don't mean to sound
1: um, arrogant because I'm not in that regard. I don't, not that I don't have fears, but I've kind of gotten over most of them because I I feel confident in the gospel itself. So, if I put my faith in the gospel and the message, then the weakness is all on me. So, if I don't have to have all the answers, I, I'm not afraid. I, I used to be more afraid because I thought, you know, I learned evangelism explosion, which was, okay, Can gotta remember this. Oh, I forgot the second question. What is it? You know, now you're trying to do a formula. And that's, that could be a mistake. Yeah. So, from a fear standpoint, I don't feel like I have them. I just, uh, back to you on that one kind of thing. And, and if I start the conversation I tend to direct the conversation so the fear kind of goes away there too someone else asked a question about that or an objection people have about the Bible you know how do you know that you know the Bible or what translation Right. So I learned from Bodie Bauckham he gave a quote because he was asking people how do you know that the Bible is true or why do you yeah, rely upon the Bible and people didn't know so he gave this quick little um, statement that I memorized, which is a place that you can keep in the back of your head. You don't have to quote it, but uh, you can take the conversation from one point to the next in that, uh, if you think about this conversation. So, um, the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses and records for us supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies. And it claims to be divine rather than human in origin, its writings. So if you think about those, depending on where they go in the conversation about the Bible, you can say, okay, well, it's written by people. Okay, these were eyewitnesses, and it was recorded during this time. Hmm. So there's uh, collaboration and and opportunities to review." So yeah. just knowing those aspects of the of the Bible gives you a place to. Otherwise, you try to remember, okay, how many manuscripts were written during this time? And Julius Caesar's were written in the how many? You try to remember too many details and you get lost.
0: Hmm. So, what kind of evangelistic opportunities have you had over the last few years? And Keith's in our own fellowship group, so I can just testify. Like every other week, he's like he's bringing up someone. I was just praying for Joe or Bob or. So I know, I mean, that's probably why I asked him. I know he's, he's regularly sharing the gospel or thinking about sharing the gospel, trying to share the gospel. So how? what kind of opportunities have you had in the past few years? Pretty much
1: everyone I work with, I can take a conversation to. I I just cut it off yesterday by mistake. I wear a wristband sometimes, all the time, that's uh, rubber, and it has uh, three of the solas. There's no room for five, so it's got three on there. But it starts a conversation. And I... I point it towards me, the words towards me, not the other person. So I'm not, you know, shoving something in their face. But when I shake someone's hand, there's a, there's words on my uh, wrist, and and they say, what does that mean? Because it's sola scriptura, sola gloria. So uh, in Christ alone, too. So they say, well, what is that for? Or what does that mean? Hmm. And then there's a conversation right there. Hmm. Or someone will often say, hey, I like your wristband, and then I know where they're coming from too, and then we can have a conversation in that regard. Hmm. So almost every time I could mention the the weather, we're having hot weather. I, there's climate change you can talk about. You know who's in charge of this anyway? You know there's stories about you got two farmers. You know one grows rice and one grows tomatoes, and it's it's hot. And if you get rain right now, it's going to scorch this plant. But this one needs the rain, and they're both praying to God for for the rain or not the rain. So who does he answer? You know, so it just. Those seem like simple questions, but makes them think a little bit. But mostly, um, at the World New Academy, we learned four questions. They call them killer questions. One is, what do you mean by blank? Um, how do you know that what you're saying is true? And I use it all the time at work because people say, well, you know, the Bible's full of contradictions. Well, like you said, they never read it. So how do you know? Which ones? Tell me. Tell me a couple. Well, you know, that's fine. And then what difference does it make? Like, if you believe this, where does it go? What difference does it make in your life? Does it does it have an effect? And like you said, the gospel—if you believe in the gospel—does it make a difference in your life? If it doesn't, it's a question of how valuable it is to you. And then the last one is: What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong and you die in your belief that I'm—I hope I'm good enough? Hmm. You know, what if you're wrong? That's that's a pr- pretty tough yeah. place to go.
0: Those are good. I should have put those up there. Okay. So, in terms of just equipping, you know, and growing in evangelism, what do you think are important ways we can do that?
1: I think everybody lists down the questions or objections that they've heard, and then go and dig in and answer You've got an open book test, you know, because you've got the Bible with you. Hmm. And you have friends, too. You get to ask the teacher. And then you go ask Ben what, what the answer to that question Or ask Google. they will probably come up with some crazy answers. <laughs> Um, asking questions. Yeah. Asking
0: questions. And, and it doesn't hurt to ask questions. They don't have to answer. And it doesn't have to be, be
1: um, I don't know, it could be the ones like you said about uh, what's your uh, church background. I can ask anybody at work that. That's not an offensive question that uh, is not going to have any impact on whether they have the job or not. They already have the job. And I'm not going to fire him
0: over it. Yeah. Like uh, conversation, because I get to ride with people in the truck all the time. No. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any other questions for Keith? I have a couple closing slides. I know we're coming up on ten. Any Any last words, Keith? Thank you so much for sharing. No, I can Go on. Yeah. No. Go Keith, on. You go on. <laughs> um, so, you know, just as you're thinking about you know where we go from here. Um, You know, I kind of joked about this being assignments, but I think there's... I'd like to... Hopefully you take something away from this. Like I said last week, think of unbelievers in your life, three to five. I mean, it could be more, it could be less, but real humans that need the gospel, that need Christ, and pray for them. Um, Pray for them to be willing to hear. Pray for God to open doors for you, but then also pray for yourself that you would have clarity and courage in communicating the gospel. And then... You just have to plan to you just have to be willing to initiate I mean that's sometimes that's the hard hardest part. I was talking to someone after the class last week, and I, I could relate because he's told me yeah, I was on a fishing boat for five hours with my neighbor, and it took me like four and a half hours to talk about spiritual conversation and I was at in a car ride with with one of my coworkers, and it took me like I, we had six hours we drove to Cedarville and back. And it was like on the way back when we got to Bernie, I was like, all right, I've got an hour left. I've got to, I've got to take the conversation there eventually. So it just takes, you know, be, taking initiative, but make a plan to do that uh, with someone, you know, maybe from that list. I mean, like you said, sometimes the conversation, the, the opportunity comes when you're not expecting it. But, you know, other times you can take initiative to, to direct a conversation that way. Practice sharing your testimony or practice you know your responses to to those questions think through those things you know um, how you would answer objections that people might come up with like i said last week memorizing meditating on second corinthians 5 20 to 21 that you're ambassadors and then ask someone to keep you accountable your family member a friend home fellowship group member um, you know it's not something you want to do on your own um, four questions um, like I said, you don't, it can be anonymous. It's voluntary. If you don't want to share it, you don't have to. Uh, how frequently do you share the gospel with others? What are the barriers that prevent you from sharing the gospel? What has been helpful from these last two weeks? And then what would be helpful for the future uh, if we did this kind of thing? I'm going to read one quote from Spurgeon, and then I'll pray. Um, But here's the quote from Spurgeon. He says, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you so much for the good news of, of Jesus Christ that you have promised to Resurrect us on the last day, having forgiven us of all of our sins, justified us, made made us right with you, defeated sin and death and the devil. We thank you so much for this message of hope that we have that, that makes such a difference in our lives, that gives us power to defeat sin and to grow into the likeness of Christ even now and gives us hope for the future. Please equip us and help us to grow in courage, in in our convictions, in, in clarity, in communicating the gospel. And please give us many opportunities to share Christ. And we pray that by the power of your Spirit, that our words would be accompanied by your new creation power, that you would awaken dead hearts and bring your children home. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.